Good evening, High Point Church Christ. How is everyone doing tonight? Hope you guys are here. Hey, as you kind of let me know that you're uh, tuning in and stuff, we've got our opening question, which is, what is the scariest natural disaster you have lived through? So if you get a minute, tell me you're online and tell me the scariest natural disaster you have lived through. So I'll give everyone a, a moment to write in and we'll talk about some of those things. So if you're just clicking on, uh, let me know that you're here for class tonight. And then also let me know the scariest natural disaster you have lived through. And we'll go through some of those because I know some of y'all have lived through some pretty crazy things. So I personally have seen uh, a hurricane coming in. I've seen an earthquake or been a part of an earthquake out in California. That was kind of scary. Hello, Lynn and Martha. Good to have you guys here. Harriet and Don. All right, glad y'all are here. So what is, our opening question is, what is the scariest natural disaster you have lived through? So we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff Elijah is going to go through with the Lord tonight. So as y'all are typing, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Hello, Miss Wilma and Clarice. Good, good evening to you as well. Hello, Carrie Smith. All right. She said she survived Tropical Storm Allison that hit Houston. Yeah, we were part of that as well. Had to go through the water that went over the hood of my car. Yeah, it dumped a tremendous amount of rain. So we were living up in spring at that time. So hello, Bars, Jim and Pam. And the, oh, okay, Bill and Kathy been through tornadoes, hurricanes, and flash floods. Okay, the Mitchells lived through Hurricane Audrey. I don't know how many years ago that was. All right, Nancy Middlebrook says hello. Uh, Jill said the F5 tornadoes in Alabama. Yeah, there were all kinds of them one day, and it was really scary. She had her kids at school when all that shook down. Uh, Robbie and Grady and Bella are here. Good to have your dog with us. Hello, Paula. Good to have you and Eugene. Hello, Tim Taft. May 3rd, 1999, Oklahoma tornadoes. Uh, Tim, that really doesn't narrow it down. They get tornadoes about every other week, but I'm sure it was horrendous. Uh, Brenda Womble, hello there. Uh, and Connie D. Bailey. Trying to watch out, uh, trying to watch, but no sound. Ooh, hopefully it's not on my end. So uh, Robert Mitchell said, Audrey was in 1957, Texas Gulf Coast. Okay. Uh, the new houses are here. Glad y'all are here. So we're talking about natural disasters we've lived through. So we're going to talk a little bit about what Elijah went through um, in our final installment. Y'all, I had to show a remarkable amount of restraint. I really could have milked this for another few weeks, but uh, I know your patience is only so long. So, uh, okay, Karen and Ron Fullencheck. Um, earthquake in Anchorage, Alaska. Woo, that's scary. Uh, John Hildreth. Um, 
Greetings from Michigan. Way to go, John. Furthest away. All right, Tim says 323 miles per hour wind speed. Whew, that's crazy. Craziness. Uh, so we're in our final week of Elijah amidst a crisis of faith. Uh, and if you remember, we're kind of tracking along with this great uh, man of faith, highs and lows of his ministry career and his highs and lows of his faith um, in, in God. And when we left, poor Elijah had fled town after uh, Queen Jezebel had let out a murderous threat that since you killed my 450 prophets up on Mount Carmel, actually down in the valley, she said, uh, if you live another day, it'll be on me. And so she kind of put a ransom on him and Elijah flees. Okay, um, the Allens are here, glad to have you guys. Um, Harriet says in the 1980s was working the public library in Atlanta, Texas. Tornado ripped through the downtown and wiped out the trees and one block away. We were hunkered down. All right. Hopefully you were hunkered down in the, uh, the fiction section. All right. So uh, Elijah has headed out and he's on the run. Where does he go? Well, he, have, he heads south. And when he gets to the southernmost town, he tells his servant, hey, thank you for being my attendant. Thank you for taking care of me and all that, but I'm going to go alone from here. And so he travels a day's journey into the desert. So it, it's almost like he's retracing the steps of the Israelites coming out of Egypt and he's vacating the promised land. He heads out in the desert and he finds himself under a broom tree. And he's like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to cash out here. And I'm just going to resign that I'm going to die here in the desert. And so it was almost like Hagar when uh, her son Ishmael was kind of rejected by Sarah. And so he just says, that's it. And so he lays down uh, and prepares to die. Okay. Lynn Norad said, uh, just came back from Argentina. The more tornado hit Edmund, that was horrendous. Uh, yeah, I remember that. Um, some of the guys from our church in Alabama went in to, to work on that. So they were in the bathtub. Awesome. Okay. Glad to have the whites with us as well. All right. So he's, he's given up and it, you know, as we talked about uh, last week, Charles Spurgeon is like, why are you giving up to a defeated enemy? I mean, Je Jezebel and, and, you know, the, the armies of Baal, they're, they're defeated. Why are you afraid of them? But yet Elijah has said, you know what? I've come to the end of this. He goes and lays down. And, and the text tells us in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19 that the angel of the Lord comes and attends to him, wakes him up and says, here, get something to eat. And then so uh, he looks over and there's a huge cake that um, the angels made for him over the hot coals. And he partakes of the cake and then he says, I'm still tired. So he goes, all right. So the angel allows him to go back to sleep, wakes him up again and feeds him one more time and says, uh, hello, Pierces, glad you guys are here. And so here's what happens. That he, the second time he wakes him up and feeds him, he gives him instructions. He goes, I want you to retrace the steps that the Israelites took. And I want you to go all the way back to uh, from the promised land back to Mount Horeb. 
and he said, I, I want you to travel there. And the text tells us that he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights. So pop quiz here, uh, the down out uh, prophet goes and he arrives at the destination. It says he crawls into a cave, but here's the pop quiz question. Um, what, what other three biblical characters went on 40 day journeys with God? What other three biblical characters went on 40 day journeys with God? Okay, so y'all can type in your responses. Uh, if you want to just give one, that's fine. If you want to give all three and show off, then you can do that as well. Okay, so uh, Elijah goes and he has this encounter with the angel. You think that would be enough to cheer him up, but uh, he starts heading towards, um, he's out of the promised land. He's heading back towards uh, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, kind of, uh, and he's heading that direction. So he travels for 40 days. And so the Lord obviously sustained him on that journey and provided for him. But he gets there, and instead of climbing up um, all the way to the summit, he just kind of gets on the mountain and he climbs into a cave. Okay, John Allen said scariest thing was a typhoon at sea. Okay, I think that would be, uh, John, you may have won the prize. I would not want to be out in the middle of that. All right. Okay, so Bob Mitchell says Moses. Tim Taff says Jesus. All right, we got one more. Come on. Come on. Can y'all think of the last one? There's one more. Yep. Uh, Bob Mitchell is correct. I'm guessing Jane gave it to him. Uh, but Moses went up on Mount Sinai and spent 40 days up there. And the Lord was, was giving out the, uh, the Ten Commandments. And Joshua was there as well. Um, okay, Talia says met John in Hong Kong for R&R &R in Vietnam. And there was a typhoon coming and his ship had to pull out of port, leaving me alone. That's terrible. All right, the Campwells are here. Glad to have you guys as well. Okay, um, I, I guess I got to give out clues for the final one of the 40 days and 40 nights. And maybe there's a rainbow and animals coming two by two. Uh, starts with an N, ends with Oa. So uh, maybe you guys can come up with that last one. Okay, so let's get into our text for tonight. It's 1 Kings 19 verses 9 through 12, and then we'll keep going a little bit. All right. Oh, Alex, uh, good God, Noah, awesome. Way to go, Alex. All right, so 1 Kings 19 and verse 9 says this, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? You're in this cave. And he replied, and you got to kind of put a little pain in your voice and, and, and maybe a little indignation. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant. And, and Lord, they, they broke down your altars and they put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, so... I'm kind of confused. Hadn't Elijah seen the Lord's power? Hadn't he seen the Lord deliver? And Lord says, all right, here's what I want you to do. Obviously, um, our three years together in the wilderness hadn't been enough. And there's still some issues that, that are, are going on. Uh, 
And so um, it says, the Lord said, go and stand uh, on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Whenever I read that, I think of Princess Bride when uh, the big giant Fezzik throws the rocks and it just shatters. But I mean, just huge wind blows up these rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire. The Lord was not in the fire. Okay, Tim says, trick question. He had 700 people with him. Yeah, but he's still 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord. Uh, kind of worried. Okay. Uh, oh, also Ezekiel. Very good. Yes, Ezekiel did some really cool stuff. So bonus points for Robert for reminding something the teacher forgot. Okay. And Karen Perry is in the house. Good to have you as well. Okay. So Elijah shares that he's a sole survivor and uh, he's the lone follower of Yahweh and, and he's very upset. And the Lord tells him to go out to the mountain and all of this stuff starts happening. Uh, I don't know about you, um, whether it would have been the forest fire that was, or the fire that was coming up that made him run back into the cave, or, or it was the earthquake uh, that knocked him to his knees, or the rocks flying around. I mean, all those have to be just horrendous. Uh, but the text tells us the Lord did not reveal himself in any of these. In the earth, wind, and fire, none of it, none of these demonstrations was the Lord a part of. So why send them? What was, what was God trying to do with Elijah, with the earth, wind, and fire? Well, you know, before the showdown on Mount Carmel, Elijah learned to trust God. Remember the Kareth Ravine and going to stay at the widow's house and all the different things. God's been there with him. And so God has to remind his servant and kind of speak into him a word of wisdom. And this is his message. No matter how dire the straits, I'm still in control. All right. So forget Jezebel or anyone that she would send out or the mercenaries or the posse that's, that's trying to track him down. Elijah, you got me on your team. Look at what I can do. I mean, Seriously, who's going to come after? The Lord can just throw a rock and knock them off their horse or can send up a huge fire. Yeah, remember the fire that stopped Pharaoh and his entire army from going after the Israelites? Earthquake? I mean, seriously, who's going to come touch him? So no matter how dire the straits are, man, God's in control. Okay, here's a message for us. We got a global pandemic. We've got uncertain job market where you don't know if your job's going to be there. We got polarized political climate. We got uh, our financial markets and retirement accounts are going up and down, up and down. And there's so much uncertainty and instability around us. And our natural reaction is fear. And, and it drives us to do crazy things. So, it's easy for us to read the story of Elijah and go, Elijah, why are you worried? Have you not seen what God's done in your life? 
And then you say that in the mirror and go, Lord, why are we worried about a pandemic? Why are we worried about an uncertain job market? Why are we worried about politics and, and, and what's happening in the world around us? Have you not been there for us? And man, God is in control. I agree with you, Jadetta. Awesome. Man, we can't be fearful as to what tomorrow holds because we know whose hands are holding it. But yet when we start down this anxiety-driven path, I, I, I wonder if God just sits here and goes, why? <laughs> why have I not been there for you in the past? Do you not feel my presence right now? Why are you fearful about the future? Listen to Eugene Peterson's version of 1 John 4 and verse 18. There is no room for love. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not fully formed in love. Boy, Eugene hit me right up beside the head that when I'm fearful, it means that my love and trust in God isn't fully formed. And by the way, I don't have any more questions for tonight, but throw in comments like Jadetta just did. If, if the Lord has something on your heart, um, I, I can't see it in your hands. So just throw something on there and I'll, I'll make reference to it. So Karen says, real courage is moving forward when the outcome is uncertain. Amen, Karen. Preach it, girl. All right. So the more that we dive in and the more that we understand the love of God, the less external things around us uh, threaten us. Uh, my wife, Jill, showed me something cool on Facebook uh, today of a graduating class from 1919. And they're all wearing masks, just like us. Was that from what flu was that, Jill? The Spanish flu. Okay, but I don't think it just hit people that spoke Spanish. Um, it is for everyone. So uh, the more things change, the more things stay the same. And I, I wonder if this demonstration was just a reminder to Elijah. Elijah, I'm here. I'm in control. Daddy's home. It's going to be all right. Don't worry. First Kings 19 and verse 12 says this. Um, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Do you see him with kind of pulled over? He's, he's scared to death. The voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? <laughs> and instead of just saying, oh Lord, I don't know. He starts his complaint track all over again. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, and, and the Israelites have rejected your covenant, and, and, and they've broken down your altars and, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. At this point, I'm sure Elijah feels like a failure, uh, his ministry, uh, maybe his mission. I, I don't know. And now even his faith, he realizes his faith has let him down in, in the face of Jezebel's threats. And so I always wondered how God would react the first time that I read this. 
Uh, okay, Karen says we need to learn deeper faith. Absolutely, absolutely. So how did the Lord respond? Did he chastise his prophet? Uh, did he berate him? Did he call him on the carpet? Come on, Elijah, what else do I have to do? I mean, you're up on Mount Carmel in front of all the people. You asked me to come consume uh, your big altar? Boom, I did it. I even consumed Baal's altar. You asked for rain? Set a downpour. I'm here for you. I provided for you. I show up when you ask me to. Why are you now in this crisis of faith? That's what I would have said, but that's not what God says. It, instead, there's no stinging rebuke. Instead, Yahweh in, invites this fragile prophet to come in and to have an audience with him and just a simple, gentle whisper. So what's the meaning? What, what's the message of how he's trying to communicate these things? No matter how bad you feel, Elijah, I still love you. I, I'm here for you. I understand what you're going through. You know, with our children, um, my wife, Jill and I, we don't have a, a love meter that goes up and down based on grades that come in from college or uh, if they start doing, you know, more chores around the house, it goes up or, or down. That's not the way it is because it's not performance based. It, it's an unconditional love that we have for our son and our daughter. Uh, and it doesn't rise and fall based on production. That, that's not how our love is. And, you know, if, if we believe this to be true with our own children, it, and it is, why don't we have the same confidence that God's love meter doesn't go up and down based on our performance? You know, when, when we sin, is he disappointed? Yeah. When our faith goes from mountaintop experiences where we're thumbs up with God to down the valleys where we're questioning if he's even there, does he get frustrated? I, I don't know. I, I imagine he does. He Maybe he scratches his head. Um, but his love is not tied in with a love meter based on our performance. He loves us because we've been invited to sit at his table and to commune with him. Um, so I, I, I just want to really get that across that our love that God has for us isn't tied in with performance because then it becomes about us and less about his son, Jesus, and what he did for us so that we could be with God. So we really need to kind of hope that resonates with you, that even with this prophet of his that was going through this crisis of faith, God's there for him and God's demonstrating his power. So our, our, our father wants to give us a message that no matter how, we, how much we blow it, uh, how much we fall short of his glory, he says, I love you and I want you to come back to me. Listen what happens next. I think this is pretty cool. This is 1 Kings 19 and verse 15. Said so the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. Okay, so if you're alive, you're like, I really want to go back. I got as far away from where as I could. Now you want me to go back? Okay. 
When you get there to Damascus, appoint Hazel, king of Aram. Okay, that's one of their allies at this time. So put a new king on the throne. Also, you might want to write this down, uh, Elijah. I want you to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Okay. And last but not least, number three, I want you to anoint Elisha, son of Shepheth, from Abel Manoah to succeed you as prophet. <laughs> you're Elijah, you're like, am I retiring? <laughs> uh, is my effectiveness, you know, my service no longer needed? Uh, I, I get the two kings, then it's time for a change. Are, are you saying this time for a change in the prophet department as well? How would you be feeling at this moment when you heard that last one, that God is saying, time for Elisha to take over. What would be your thought at, as you're going through this crisis of faith and you've had these highs and lows and you've tried to do all these things with the people and this, what would you be feeling at this moment? So uh, the final message, well, I'm then, let me finish what he says. Jehu will put to death any who escape from the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape from the sword of Jehu. We're cleaning house here. We're turning this nation back to Jehovah, and they're not going to get on board. They're not going to escape this. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. They're, they're not going back and forth. They're all in on Jehovah. They're going to be the core of your new movement. They're going to be your community that is going to help this movement get going. Or maybe for Elisha. So 7,000, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and his mouths have not kissed him. Okay, so the final message for Elijah. No matter how hopeless it seems, I have a plan. Uh, just because Elijah's life feels like it's in a tailspin uh, and he's been fleeing Jezebel, it doesn't mean that God's in a tailspin. Okay, let, let me say that again. Just because Elijah's life is in a tailspin, he doesn't know what to happen. He's fearful. He's, he's going back and forth. He's very anxious. He's worried. His faith is going up and down and all this. God's not in a tailspin. God's not scrambling, trying to put together a plan. He's already got it lined out, okay? So what he tells him is uh, Yahweh knows what needs to happen and presents the way forward for his servant. And when we get in hopeless situations and we feel like we're backed into a corner and, and, and we feel like there's no way out, and we finally turn over to the Lord. I promise he's several moves ahead of us on the chessboard of life. Uh, he's just waiting for you to reveal the plan. So he tells Elijah, hey, your spiritual retreat is over. And I want you to head back and I want you to go appoint Jehu. And I want you to go appoint Hazel. Uh, and by doing this, Elijah will declare Yahweh has won. Yahweh is God over Israel and holds sway in Aram as well. Okay, Bob Mitchell says, tough to be 
replaced by another. But when God is in control, it is always for the best. Fantastic. Uh, that's a great point. In fact, I have it in my notes down here. I guess I don't have to share that now, Bob. All right. Bill James says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Absolutely. No matter what God's plan is, our job is just to say, God, we love you. Okay. So here's, here's what I've got for this. The last thing is says, I've already replaced your replacement as well. Two things here. Uh, throughout the crisis, the kingdom of the Lord was never in jeopardy. I, I think sometimes when things are going crazy in our country, politically ups and downs, this and, and up listening to different talk shows, and we start watching the news and, and we start hearing about this person and, and, and you're wondering how is God going to sort this all out and, and how what's tomorrow going to look like? God's kingdom is never in jeopardy. And so no matter what happens tomorrow, even if it's our worst nightmare, God's kingdom is going to go on. He will prevail and his will be will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So uh, Joe Pierce or Don says, we are so much like Elijah. Amen. Sister and brother, I am with you. Okay. Martha Nora and Jimmy got on there. Greetings from Alabama. Glad to have you guys with us tonight. All right. So throughout the crisis, the Lord's kingdom was never in jeopardy. And number two, this is kind of what Bob Mitchell uh, tapped into. The work of the kingdom is more important than any one worker. It is. This one's harder for us because if we're involved in ministries and we're involved using our skills and our talents and other things, um, sometimes we tell ourselves we're indispensable, that we're irreplaceable, and, and, and that we're invaluable, but we're not. Um, as much as I enjoyed the privilege of uh, filling the pulpit at High Point, uh, if something were to happen to me, uh, another would take my place and this church would go on and our calling to advance the kingdom would continue because it's too important for uh, it to be dependent on any one individual. Okay, Jadetta says that's easy to forget. The kingdom never changes. Absolutely. It's too important. Okay, so let's wrap this up. I try not to keep us too much beyond 30 minutes. So if the story of Elijah were a movie, the final scene with this would be in 2 Kings chapter 2. And it records the final moments uh, in the life of the great prophet Elijah. He's already gone out into a field and he's found Elisha and he's taken his cloak and he put it over him ceremoniously saying, you're going to carry the mantle of being the leader of God's people here in Israel. And so they start walking down a road and Elisha walks with his soon to be departed mentor from Gilgal to Bethel and from Bethel to Jericho, and then on to the Jordan River. And every time that they stop, uh, Elijah tells him, okay, really, <laughs> I appreciate you coming. Uh, I can take it from here, but Elisha wants to keep going. 
And on each stop of the journey, the text tells us that companies of prophets start lining the roads. It, it, if you've ever seen like when there's a fallen police officer or of a fallen firefighter and you have uh, people lining the roads of highways or bridges and stuff, you've now got these prophets that have been hiding out in caves that have been, uh, you know, just laying low and not knowing their place. Now they're coming out to give full respects and final respects to the faithful servant of God who stood his ground while the others had to hide themselves. And so they finally get to the Jordan River and Elijah took off his cloak for his last time and he rolled it up and he struck the waters parting so that they could cross. And I, I wonder when they were crossing on dry ground, if Elijah paused for just a moment, maybe picked up and bent down one of the dry river rocks and, and he held in his hand, I, I, I'm just imagining, and he's wondering that dry riverbed and remembering that dry riverbed at Kareth Ravine where God took care of him with uh, the birds flying in, meat and bread for the servant. And, and, and the Lord's provisions all throughout his ministry. And this final scene is awesome for a couple of reasons, because it, it shows how the country and God's people have changed because of Elijah's faithfulness. Um, the nation that was ruled by a wicked queen and king were no more. By this time, Ahab was gone and Jezebel would soon follow. Uh, the nation on the verge of ridding themselves from Yahweh is now drawing closer to driving out Baal from the land altogether. And, and these prophets that were hiding out in caves and too fearful to come for fear they lose their lives are now walking the streets freely. They're sharing stories and they're, they're ministering to the people because of the boldness of Elijah. And even the land that had been devastated by this drought for three years was now lush. This riverbed that had been dried up for three years was now flowing with water to the point where they had to use his cloak to get across it because it was so deep. So just imagine what's going through the life of Elijah and the mind of Elijah and how his life has been used by God and how full his heart must have been and to have the power and the position and the privilege that God had given him. And now he's passing that on to Elisha. So during our days, I want to encourage us that don't get discouraged when you go through ups and downs in your faith. Don't get discouraged when you have highs and lows. Don't get discouraged when you walk away from the things God's asking you to do because God's going to pull you right back. Just be faithful. Know God's in control, that God loves us. God's going to take care of us and he will do the things necessary for his kingdom to be expanded and his cause to be advanced and his glory to abound. And may we eagerly await his return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the awesome story of Elijah. Lord, thank you for calling people that didn't have perfect faith 
Lord, thank you for calling people that had doubts and struggles. And Lord, they had victories, but also had defeats in times where they wondered if you were there. It gives us um, comfort knowing that you are there and you're powerful and you're in control and you've got a plan that's includes us, but is bigger than us. Lord, help us to keep ourselves and you in perspective. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys. We'll start a new study next week.